the idea that in your lifetime that you can actually impact someone else's life, that to me has become my definition of a life well lived. This is Dawn Myers and you are listening to Why We Work. From Postgrad Media, this is Why We Work, a podcast featuring leaders, entrepreneurs, and visionaries who are changing the game. Whether you're wondering how to launch a million dollar idea or at a standstill and just trying to figure out your next step, we're here to show you how influential you can be. When I first started this podcast over a year ago, I wrote down a list of reach guests, people that I looked up to, still do, and who inspired me to be sitting here with you right now. Today is extra special because I actually have on one of those very guests. You may or may not be familiar with this brand, but if you've ever ventured into Sephora, read popular magazines, scrolled through Instagram, or watched YouTube, you may have noticed the brand Tatcha, a luxury skincare brand drawing on the ancient practices of geishas. I always get so curious about new brands, uh, and I want to know more about their story and how they started. So like the stalker I am, I did some research on the products and, and the brand, only to realize it wasn't run by a mega corporation, but by Victoria Tsai and her team. What I love most about this conversation is that Vicky has some pretty serious accolades. Uh, For example, she has an MBA from Harvard, she had a career on Wall Street, worked at Procter & Gamble, Starbucks, and uh, in Silicon Valley. She essentially could have had any job she wanted and could have worked her way up any company she really wanted to. But instead, she went another direction and found her passion during a trip to Japan. Now, since founding Tatcha in 2009, the company has ranked number 21 on Inc.'s 5,000 fastest growing companies in America, with 11,000% growth in three years. And just let that sink in. Oh, and the company itself has funded over a million days of school for girls, young girls across the world. Okay, I don't want to give everything away, so I'll start you off here at the beginning of Vicky's story. You know, it was a lot like you. I, um, I, when I graduated from college, I didn't know what I wanted to do, um, but I knew I really loved economics. I just think it's super interesting because it's half business, half psychology. So I was um, a trader down on Wall Street in New York. And then um, I was down at Ground Zero for 9-11. Um, at the, I think I was 21 then. And so it was a really formative experience for me. Um, and it, it taught me early on that um, if I wanted to have meaning in my life, then I needed to find meaning in my work because work is how you spend the waking hours of your life. Um, it also made me a little bit impatient um, because yeah. if I was working in a job that I didn't find fulfilling or with people that I didn't 
want to spend the waking hours of my life with, I had very little patience for it and, and I would leave. Um, and so then I went to business school and everybody applies to business school with these essays, you know, about how you know exactly what you want to do. And it's all lies. Especially where you went. <laughs> if you knew what you wanted to do, you'd be doing it. You wouldn't go to business school. Like, let's all admit we all lied. Um, and then I came out and I didn't know what I wanted to do, but um, I, I thought marketing was interesting. Um, so I worked at Procter & Gamble during business school, and then afterwards I went to Starbucks to launch their consumer products business in China. Then I got recruited out to um, Silicon Valley to head up marketing for a VC-backed um, uh, web company where they wanted to provide uh, sustainability ratings for products, environmental, social health scores for, for products, so that if you cared about those things, you could pick and choose what you wanted. And then um, the work there was actually super interesting, but... You know, I just got to this point where I was like, I, I'm just, I feel so unfulfilled and I don't know why. So I worked in big companies and small companies. I worked in medium-sized companies, finance companies, consumer products companies. And I know that I love working, but I also know that I don't want to do any of this. And then one day I woke up and I just said I choose happiness and, and I quit. After what happened yesterday in Vegas too, like these things that keep happening and I almost feel like, everyone is sort of rethinking work and how they're spending their time and at least I am I like all day yesterday I'm like I need to make sure I'm really doing something meaningful like with my life you know and not just going through the motions it's a wake-up call it definitely is a wake-up call and it definitely for me was a catalyst for a quarter-life crisis how 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 do you define a a life well-lived and then therefore where does your career fit into that so um, Oprah has been on, uh, my laptop in the background all morning. So I'm feeling like really inspired by her. And one thing that she said, <laughs> you love Oprah too? Who doesn't? It, no, it's weird. Cause I, I've never actually watched her. I don't know how I've gone my whole life and I've never, I've never seen Oprah. And so this morning it showed up on my, um, on YouTube, on my suggested videos and I clicked on it and I was just like, just totally blown away by her but something she said that she always did was followed her instinct and um sort of throughout her whole life she followed her instinct and she didn't really know where it was leading her but she just had a feeling do you did you get that feeling too like did you always kind of follow that or would you consider yourself someone that has a good instinct in my whole career or in, or in starting my own company? Yeah, and sort of starting your own company and deciding what you wanted to do, sort of. Yeah, it's interesting. So um, my parents are first-generation uh, immigrants from Taiwan. And um, I would say I spent the vast majority of my career before I started my own company doing things that I hoped would make them proud. And in retrospect, that's why I felt so unfulfilled um, because I wasn't necessarily following my own heart about what would be interesting. I just, you know, I just constantly thought like, will they be proud of me? Is this going to make all of their sacrifices worth it? Um, And it wasn't until I said I choose happiness and quit one day and then started following my instincts that um, I found something that I believe in that I would want to dedicate my life to. And that I think more than anything is what made my parents proud and I should have just done that all along. So yes, with Tatcha, it's 1,000% instincts. But I can't say that I've always followed my instincts when it comes to my career. Did they think you were crazy at first? Or were they always supportive? 
They always thought I was crazy and they were <laughs> It sounds like my parents. <laughs> they just don't bother to tell me anymore. They're just like, just do whatever. <laughs> I mean, I'm lucky because my parents, I mean, my parents are not rich. And um, when I first started out, I didn't want to ask anybody for money. And so um, that's when I sold my car and my catering, my furniture and worked a bunch of jobs. And then when that ran out is when I went to my parents and I've gone to my parents a lot over the years and said, I need, I need money to make payroll. And um, whatever they think, they don't, they don't go out of their way to say it. They just support me. But yeah, for sure. For sure. <laughs> so I kind of want to go back to, I think, is it 2009 when you made that initial trip to Japan? Am I getting this right? And, and you saw the products. Well, you saw the... The ex- you experienced it for the first time, and can you talk a little bit about um, that defining moment? And then when you decided that, oh, I need to bring, I need to start creating these products and bring this to the U.S. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in 2009, at that point, I had acute dermatitis for a couple years. Um, my entire face had been bleeding, blistering, scaling my lips, my eyelids. Um, I had used my face like a like a guinea pig when I was working for another beauty care company and, and my face was not happy and the doctor said, that's your skin. So the only thing I could put on my skin that wasn't aggravating it was Aquaphor. Do you know Aquaphor? I use Aquaphor all the time. <laughs> all the time. It's like a thick Vaseline, right? And yeah. it's fantastic for your skin, but if you use that as a face facial moisturizer, you're going to look... I've never, I've never quite gone to that extent. <laughs> I, I don't recommend it, but it's not, it's, it's non-irritating. And so, um, it was the only thing I could use, but as a result, I was a greasy hot mess all the time. And, um, when I found out that the blotting papers that I had come to rely on to look like less of a greasy hot mess, uh, were actually the byproduct of the gold beef feeding process. I was so confused by that. I was like, I have to go check that out. So I quit my job. I'm traveling the world. I'm trying to find myself. I'm pregnant, married, but and um, then I find myself in Japan. I'm not Japanese. Um, I go to these gold leaf artisans to say, is this true that the byproducts of your gold leaf beating process is these papers that keep your skin petal fresh? And they said, yeah. Um, and everything there was so magical. And were they just like, duh, like, duh, this works. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, first you know, I went to Kyoto and Kyoto is magical. I mean, like, spiritual, magical, otherworldly. I, I can't say enough about Kyoto. And then I meet these goldie partisans and everything is gold. I mean, it, it was like, was it the Wizard of Oz with the yellow big road? And yeah. like, it was unreal. And then when I was like, I don't understand how the byproduct of the goldie bean process becomes a beauty care product. And they were like, I don't know, you're going to have to ask a geisha because they're the ones who figured that out. And then they introduced me to the geisha. So that's how that all started. Um, and then when I saw that, I don't know, at that point, you know, I'm, I'm like a jaded American consumer and I've done marketing so that I really don't believe in anything. Cause once you've done marketing, you like, you really don't believe anything anymore. And then, I know I've and, actually, I've been in marketing. I, I'm a marketing major. Yeah. So I totally get that. You're like, no. Mm-mm. And then, so to be confronted with something that is so authentic and so beautiful and so effective that I was just like, we need more of this in the world. Um, and then it transformed my skin when I started using their skincare. Um, and then I tried to find it in the U.S. and I couldn't find it in the U.S. So then out of pure self-interest, 
I needed to create a steady supply of it because my skin finally looked normal, which meant I felt normal as a human being. Um, so I don't know how much it was ever like a conscious decision, like I'm going to start a company. It was just, it just kind of kept going. Why had no one like discovered that before? How, why do you think no one has ever gone over there or tried to sell yeah. that kind of product before? So um, it, there's a few different reasons. Um, one is the Western beauty industry has been very much um, focused on fixing things. And so it's not about prevention. So in the U.S., like we don't talk and think a lot about how to take care of your skin when you're young. We sort of, you know, we used to put baby oil on and go in the sun. You wouldn't remember that, but we did that. My we used to use skin. I know my mom did. She would lay <laughs> out in the fields naked with baby oil. We used to use tanning beds, and then you just rely heavily on makeup. And then one day you wake up and and you look different. And then it's it's a little bit too late. And so then all of the skincare in the U.S. has been about how do you address the, the issues once it's happened. Um, and that's why everything has been about anti-aging um, and uh, super aggressive you know, chemicals and things that you know, are similar to what you would get from a medical treatment. Um, but in Asia, everything has been about prevention. It's, it's far better if you never get sick in the first place, right? It's far better if you just take care of organs, whether it's your heart or your lungs or your We wouldn't skin. know anything about that here. <laughs> we wouldn't, we wouldn't know. Next level. It's next level. And so one is just that we hadn't really gotten there yet. This, this, the U.S. is still a cosmetics market, color cosmetics. Um, in Asia, it's a skincare market because they've just been around longer, um, thousands of years longer. <laughs> and so they're just, they're next level. Um, that's one. The other thing is that, um, uh, yeah, people have really been focused on um, technology here and um, things that were natural and things that are based on heritage. They just haven't been trendy here. And so I think that's another reason. And then finally, the, for the geisha in particular, their um, beauty culture has been a secret. People have known about that iconic white makeup and that, that red lip, but they, nobody knew what their skin looked like underneath because it's very hard to meet them. Um, and it's very hard to see them without makeup on. And then they don't write it down. It's an oral tradition from one generation to the next. So it, it wasn't terribly, you know, interesting or relevant until recently for people. Um, and then it wasn't accessible. Yeah. So... You started developing the blotting papers. That was your first product, correct? Mm -hmm. And then you, what was the time that you, so from the time you had that idea to the time that you brought it to market, how long was that period of time that you were testing and launching? That's a really great question. I wish I had my HBS case in front of me because the timeline in there is much better. I'm terrible at the timeline. I want to uh, say, I, I think I read something. Wasn't it within the same year or is that... Sometimes. Yeah, so I know April 2008 is when I started going to Asia looking for this. September 2009 is when our website went up with the blotting papers. And then January 2010 is when we launched into physical retail um, on the day that my daughter was born. Oh my gosh, that's really serendipitous. Yeah. Um, that's, a, that's a short timeline too. I mean, just a couple of years to to do all that it's it's like a lot of things had to align at the right time for all of that to happen 
fairly quickly. Yeah, right? well, it's a, it was about a year and a half. It to probably go. felt like a long time when you were in it, right? <laughs> yeah, a, a year and a half to launch a single product is not that fast. And then how did you start selling them? How did this become so popular? How, how did you market it? I mean, you're in marketing, so you have the expertise, well, but... I, I am not. I only did marketing for about a year and a half before um, all of this, so I'm not really a marketer at all. And we didn't have a marketing department until very recently. Um, we have a CMO now, a chief marketing officer. She's amazing. She joined us, I think, a year and a week ago. So she's... We only brought her in then, and until then, we didn't have one true marketer in the company. So how did you get it? How did you start catching ground? I think that's the hardest part is even when you have a good idea and then you want to put it out there, it's like, is anyone going to like it? How is this going to catch traction? Like, how did you kind of get your first break, so to speak? So, you know, it's interesting. And um, this gets to the question that you had posed earlier um, about failure. And the all the traditional ways that we thought about um, growing awareness for the brand they didn't work. And then the things that we did just because it's the right thing to do, that's what ended up working. Like um, what? So on the day that we launched our skincare, we were really lucky. We had um, two massive magazine features and a newspaper feature in the best magazines that you'd want to be in. And that day we sold on our website one serum. Then that weekend, I zeroed out the pricing on our website by mistake, and we still had only one order. And it was from someone who I worked with at Starbucks, who went through the website, made an order for zero dollars, and then reached out to us and was like, hey girl, you should give your stuff away for free. (laughs) And and I was like, oh no, this is is really bad. And we had all done all the traditional stuff of of, um, hiring PR. So it was for free. I mean, you you put it up for free. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, it was zero. It was zero dollars. Still nobody. Where was I when that happened? (laughs) Number one person who I knew. And, um, and we had, we had a hired a PR agency at that point and they just started into, you know, and that stuff, it it matters. We love the editors. We love the, the, the magazines and the newspapers. We're grateful for them, but that's not what got the brand going. I think in all honesty, what got the brand going is our clients. We've always thought about um, building the brand one client at a time because everybody is special and unique and different and deserves to be cherished. And we've always said, if you love your clients and you love your products more than anyone else and you're not in a rush, then over time it works out. You have a reason to exist. And so it's really our clients who've brought us our best clients. And that is still where our focus is 1,000% of the time. Um, And then the other thing is amazing people like you who Stop. hear about our story and, um, you know, there's something about our value system or, um, you know, just how we came to be that, that resonates with you. Our client tends to be the thinking woman um, and man. Um, she's not easily swayed by brand power just because there's a celebrity behind it. You know, she's much more sophisticated than that. I think the Internet has done a fantastic job of laying everybody bare and um, like, you know, the, the, the emperor has no clothes, right? So in all of the internet, you know who's authentic. You know who really cares about their formulas, their product development, your clients. 
and you, you can sort of tell who's just faking it. Um, so I think it's been a combination of um, having the benefit of social media, really helping to tell our story in an authentic way, um, our clients bringing us our best clients, and then friends like you who, um, who are letting us talk about why we exist, because I think that in this day and age, why you exist is even more important than you know just what you do. I 100% agree. I was just, I read something that was like, um, my, so millennials and then especially for Gen X, mm-hmm. they'll seek out products just, just because of the company. They, they'll, they'll buy products from any company that they align with more than just going to buy, uh, a cup. They'll look for a cup made by this certain brand because it aligns with their values. Totally. And it's, totally. it's crazy how that's transformed. I think it's a wonderful way to shop, though, because one, you're voting with your with your wallet, and then two is skincare, especially is is a it's it's a purchase of trust because you don't actually, as a normal consumer, understand the ingredients. You don't even really understand your skin, and you have to. It's a leap of faith to know whether it's going to work for you. And even when you buy it, you, if you like the texture, you like the smell, it still takes a couple of weeks to really make a huge difference on your skin. And so to choose your skincare, especially, or your food, based on a value system is, I personally think, the way to go. Because if you believe that the founders or the people behind a company, that it's a labor of love, that they care about the things that you care about, whether it's animal testing or natural ingredients, and that they're dedicating their every waking minute of their lives to making something worthy of you as a client, then you can trust that even if you don't understand the ingredients or how it works, that you're getting what's best for you, mm-hmm. you know, versus versus something that's you know coming off of a factory line manufactured from a big company with you know great marketers versus products. And now it's easier for, or there's more uh, routes for smaller companies to take to like indie brands and stuff to kind of blow up now, and it's not just the bigger brands who are monopolizing the whole thing, which is good. Yeah, I- I personally think that the independent brands, whether they're small independent or large independent, um, they tend to have the best formulas. It's just, it is, it's a fact. So do you remember a moment when you thought, you know, you made it, like I did it, I accomplished what I set out to do. Do you remember a moment like that? Or are you still sort of waiting for that moment? Um, I've had that moment once and it, um, we have a one-to-one model. Have you uh, heard of Room to Read? Yeah, I was going to ask you about that too. Yeah, so they're an incredible organization. They're considered one of the world leaders in children's education. Their mission is world change through children's education. And they have a special fund for girls um, because in um, developing countries, it's usually girls who are last in line to get an education. And we have a funding model with them where every single full-size skincare purchase funds a day of school for a girl through their program. And we did it because it's the right thing to do. That's it. We don't you did it from the get-go, right? Was it, did you start it? It was, you know, it was like a year and a half in that after we started selling the skincare. And it wasn't because we didn't want to do it from the get-go. It was always a plan to do it from the get-go. But we wanted to make sure that we found the right nonprofit partner because it's a marriage, because we're not working with tons of different nonprofits, it's one. So we wanted to go really deep in one and understand exactly how the money was going to be used, exactly how these girls are supported. Um, so it took us a, a couple of years to do our due diligence to find the right partner, because it, it was never a marketing angle for us, it was just 
we always knew that we wanted giving to be part of the business model. Yeah. So um, at our three-year mark, which was last Christmas, we found out that we crossed a million days of school. That's crazy. Absolutely crazy. That. And having gone to Cambodia twice, which is one of the 11 countries that they operate in, having met some of the girls who will directly benefit from this, having a daughter myself who's of the same age and you know just recently learning to read, the idea that in your lifetime that you can actually impact someone else's life, that to me has become my definition of a life well lived. Like if I died tomorrow, I care a lot more that we funded a million days of school than, you know, Tasha got X big. Um, Cause Tasha getting X big is matters because it funds a million days of school. Also clients, because we've had clients share the most amazing stories with us. And um, it sounds, it sounds silly that skincare would matter so much, but it's the face that you put to the world, you know? Yeah. Um, so that's when I felt like we made it. And now hopefully we'll move quickly towards 2 million days of school. How many times have you visited those schools? It has to be like your, the highlight. It was amazing. So I went to Cambodia twice. Um, the first time I went with Alec. Um, the second time I brought my daughter and it was life changing for her. And then in a few weeks, I'm going to India to visit the program in India. Um, and my hope is to go to every market, um, that they're in every country that they're in, hopefully once a year. That's so cool. Yeah. So cool. And I I think a lot of people set out to start a business just for the profit or just to sell the product. And then you slowly realize that there's more to life. There's more to it than just the product or the business itself. It's just like, I don't, as a company, as you get big, um, or as you get bigger, you're, you can always find an excuse at the end of the year not to give back. Oh, we'll do it next year, you know. It's, oh. like, tithing, it's like tithing at church. Like <laughs> exactly. It's better to give it while you go, honestly. That's what I think personally. Um, and then the other thing is um, I've, always, I've always felt, because I, I, I feel strongly about the power of business to impact real change, that business is the way to do it. The other way to do it is through philanthropy or through your time. Time for me is very limited. I don't know that I'll ever be rich enough to be a philanthropist. So the only thing I can for sure do is put it in a business model and know that that's helpful. Okay. So you're married and you have a daughter. Mm -hmm. So how in the heck do you balance all of this? How do you travel all the time and run a business and have time for your family it just, it seems so daunting. How do you, how do you do it? Yeah. I think every, everybody has a different way of doing it. Um, I've stopped using the word balance. I'm not, I'm not sure that it sets anybody up for success. I think it's just about choices that you make. Um, I'm really, really lucky that my husband works in the company. Um, so he gets more than enough time with me. <laughs> um, I prioritize time with my daughter outside of work above all else. So I will be the first to admit that I don't go to parties. I don't keep up with a lot of friends socially outside of work. Um, I don't keep the schedule outside of work aside from my work and my daughter, because those are my two priorities. I love my friends. Um, most of my friends are not local anyway. So 
I can't see them anyway. <laughs> That's a, it's a good excuse. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I think um, for me it's just been about prioritizing the things that actually matter and what I have to get done in a day and then finding a way to get it done. And then I also prioritize sleep. I sleep at like 9.30 at night like a child. I need to start doing that. <laughs> I really do. What makes you different than um, than other people who have tried to go down the path that you're going? Um, is it is it luck? Do you think? Is it because of your education? Do you have the grit? Sort of what what was the recipe for you to to bring you to where you are now? I think luck always plays a huge part of it. Um, huge, huge, huge part of it. I have an amazing team. I was so lucky to find people like Alec early on, and that's pure luck, um, who could take a crazy idea from my head and help turn it into reality. So surrounding yourself with really amazing people who are talented, who are trustworthy, who share your passion and uh, share your vision is incredible. And then I think for any entrepreneur um, or any person in general, you can never have too much resilience. So if I have one trait that I think may be somewhat unique is that the word no doesn't bother me. It just sort of gets me more energized. So like my husband turned me down for six months before he went on a date with me. That's awesome. And I just kept asking. Just keep asking. Just keep asking. Just keep asking. And he just kept saying no. Just keep asking. (laughs) That's awesome a company you've got to be really comfortable with people saying no (laughs) how did you find how'd you find your team though how did you because to me where I'm at now that's I'm trying to build more not connections but like you know like friendships and people that can support you sort of like a team whether it's in a business venture or just friendships people that you can relate to like how do you find those people how did you attract those people uh, I think uh, as an entrepreneur, you have to, that's also a skill set. Like, so one, you have to be really okay with people saying no. And two, you have to be able to attract people to you. Um, I got really lucky early on. Mm, our very first employee was my daughter's nanny. Um, her name is Mrs. Liu and she runs like a packing team now of like eight people. Uh, she's still with us. Um, my two co-founders are people that I worked with in the past um, at different companies. Um, my day-to-day operating partner who, who I really consider a co-founder now too. Um, I met him through our business school. Um, and then Alec came to us through one of our first investors. So it's like a, it's like a beautiful, virtuous cycle. Organic, really organic. Good people bring you good people, bring you good people. Um, and then now we finally got to the size where there's enough brand awareness that when we put up a, a job opening, we get great resumes. But in the beginning, that wasn't the case at all. I saw, <laughs> I was I was trolling through the website, and I saw you have so many openings right now for jobs too, which is exciting. It is, it is. We're always growing. So what moments day-to-day do you feel the most fulfilled in your work? I think that's something that a lot of people struggle with, and I do too. Sometimes it seems like really mundane, or you're doing something that you're like, eh, does this really matter? You know, I'm not sure it's so much the time versus the subject matter. Um, I mean, every single job, even when you're a CEO of a company, is full of stuff that you like and stuff that you don't like. 
And every time I feel like complaining, I, I have two mantras. One is that if it were easy, everyone would do it. And two, if it was always going to be fun, they wouldn't call it work. They'd call it pay. <laughs> and so um, those, those are two things I repeat to myself often. I'm happiest when I'm with my team. I love my team. Um, and when I'm with my clients, because I love, love our clients. I'm obsessed with them. It's like an unhealthy love affair. When do you see them? We're in Sephora. Uh, we're in Barney's. Um, those are the two big ones that we're in. That's yeah. right. That's right. So when do you and see your customers yeah. then? Um, well, one is uh, we have touch.com. So every single customer email that happens um, flows through my inbox. Um, so I see every single complaint, suggestion, um, happy letter, question, every single one I still see. And then I manage our Snapchat account. And so I keep the inbox open and anybody can find me anytime at Tatcha Beauty there. And it's just me. I'm going to start sliding in. <laughs> Girl, you can send me snaps every day. I will answer you every day. And then like, that's like my happy spot too is, is just to know how our clients are feeling because it is, it is a, a deep honor to take care of someone's skin. Um, and usually when they tell you about their skin, they tell you about their life. And so the relationships that we develop end up being quite deep and they nourish me. Um, I love, love R&D. We have our own scientists. We develop everything in-house like a couture dress. Um, so that's my happy spot too. Um, designing is really important. Um, every piece of packaging that we do is custom. Packaging is so cool. Oh, it's thank so you. Cool. I just feel like, you know, it, whatever you have on your vanity and whatever you're using should be as special as you are. Um, it, it's laborious and expensive and time intensive to make things custom, everything from scratch. But I, I don't, you know, go big or go home. Um, so those are my happy spots. I, there's plenty of things that I have to do every day where I'm just like, I don't. Like eh. right now, and then normally Alec is like, "You is beautiful, you is fine." <laughs> it's not. <laughs> what is that from? That's no. from the Help, the movie. That's right. I was like, "What is that from?" <laughs> um. So, do you feel like you're doing what you're supposed to be doing? This is my life's work. This is what I'm supposed to do with my life. Yeah, and that's a really good feeling to know. That is like the pinnacle and that's, I think it's, it's hard to put a formula to find that. I think you just know when you know. I think it's great that you are helping people find that and figure that out early on in life. If I've learned anything, so I went to business school and um, there was this um, career program piece of the program. It was um, led by a guy named Dr. Tim Butler. And um, he has this whole program. It has a book and a CD and a test that you can take too, but the book is called Discovering Your Career Vision in Business. And the crux of his thesis is that by the age of like 12, you know what you are good at. You know what you like, you know what you don't like. You just don't know the names of the jobs that go against it. And then after 12, when you're trying to figure out what you're supposed to do when you grow up, all these people or telling you what you're supposed to be. You should be a doctor, you should be a lawyer, you should be a teacher, you should be you know, an investment banker, whatever. Very few people say you should be an entrepreneur. Um, and then- No one says you, that, I feel like. No, right? no, no one says that. No and then that. you actually get to decision point, either when you're graduating college or you're graduating from graduate school, 
you can't distinguish in your head anymore between like your internal voice, your instinct, and what other people have said that you should want to do. And then you have peer pressure because everybody else is going into investment banking, everybody else is going to be a management consultant, everybody else is going to go to Silicon Valley, and then then you don't really know whose path that you're following. So um, I think that for you to have a podcast that encourages people to have the self-awareness and the courage to say, I know I want to be happy, I know I want to find my life's work, I don't know what that means or where that starts, is awesome. I wish I started my company 10 years earlier than I knew all of this 10 years earlier. Yeah. Entrepreneurship is a young person's game. I will <laughs> you look so young. You doesn't, 10 years is nothing. <laughs> um, all right. What's, what's been the best mistake that you've made? I mean, jacking my face up turned out to work out pretty well for me. That's actually true. And skin, skin stuff can be really frustrating. So, I mean, you're probably just at your wit's end with that. Yeah, giving myself acute dermatitis is is not something I, I, I would seek to get or recommend for people, but it worked out pretty well. Everyone should try it. <laughs> <laughs> See what happens. It's great. <laughs> um, other mistakes that have turned out really well. Well, I wasn't planning on having a baby and start a company at the same time. That was a little bit of an oopsie, um, but a happy mistake. And... Um, and she's the one who's kept me grounded throughout all of this. And, and she reminds me every day of, you know, values and why we're doing this all. And so that, that was a great mistake. <laughs> Is she interested in what you're doing? Do you, do you think she's going to want to carry the legacy forward? She has said before that she, that she wants to, to do this when she grows up. But she's only seven and a half. So I was like, you make your take. Make her take the test. <laughs> I know. I think the one thing is because I've, I've followed my heart in my career now and I've done things that, you know, seemed very silly at the surface that um, now she's seven and a half. She's getting to the age where they're starting to talk about jobs and what do you want to be when you grow up? And I'm like, I'm like nobody can take away your shine, okay? <laughs> Follow your heart. Follow your instinct. Just like pumping her up constantly. I am because women, women need more of that. I agree. That's that was actually one thing I want to talk to you about too is what have you had moments in your career where people have um undermined you or underestimated you because you're a woman? Um do you have any notable moments like that or has it always sort of been you kind of just brush it off? Um I can certainly recall them, but um they've never bothered me. Uh mostly because Again, no doesn't phase me. No just sounds like call me tomorrow. So it doesn't bother me that much. Uh, you know, I started out life on the trading floor, and women are not normally traders. Yeah. Um, so there was always that. Then the most notable time for me is when I first started our company. Um, I needed to find a filler in Japan. And the filler that I most wanted to work with, I visited them multiple times in Japan. And um, I just remember thinking they had some really, really dingy offices. And I was surprised because I knew they made great products. And then when I finally went back there on a trip with my business partner, who is a beautiful, tall, blonde man, all of a sudden we walked through the dingy office up 
into an elevator into the most beautiful office ever. It's like, like what? library and scotch. And I was like, wait, have we been meeting in your lobby the whole time? Like not even the lobby, like the lobby to the elevator bank. What? And it wasn't until I brought the president of the company with me that um, that people treated me differently. And then, of course, you remember, well, you, you probably wouldn't know it, but uh, was it called the pretty woman? Trickier. Yeah. She oh, said. Big, huge mistake. Big mistake. <laughs> Did you did you continue working with them or were you like screw you guys? Oh no, we didn't give them the business. When I when I realized that, I was like, oh wait, wait, what? And then I will admit, so I I have been the CEO since the day that we started, and I'm the CEO now. I would say seventy percent of the time, for people who don't know us well, um, people assume that my partner, the man, is actually the CEO. Um, including some of our investors who I've known for years, including retail partners. Um, People just, they automatically assume that, um, that the man in the room is. So frustrating. It is and it's not because it, it, it only takes 10 seconds to, if you're good at your job and, and you're good at what you do for people to figure out that you're the boss. This will, this will change over time. But yeah, I mean, it, it still, it happens every day. Yeah. I was just um, <clears throat> listening to a podcast too about uh, the sexism just in Silicon Valley alone too. So, I mean, I don't know. Do you sense that it's worse down there? Or like in, around you at least? When or? first went up and down Silicon Valley, Sand Hill Road to try to raise money to start the company, we sat in office after office after office with VCs who were men. Um, and, and they, they did look at us like we were crazy. They for sure did. And we were also a little bit ahead of our time when we were trying to raise money for it because, um, beauty and e-commerce was not hot yet. It's different now. Now the same people who looked at us like we were crazy call, Hey, are you raising money? (laughs) You had your shot. So, what uh what scares you the most looking forward? It's not so much fear as responsibility. So in the beginning when you're an entrepreneur just responsible for yourself, you're you're trying to make an idea come to life. Now as you grow you still have that, but then you have, you know, you have employees who have families and mortgages, um, you've clients who trust you and believe in you and take care of you. Um, you have retail partners who are depending on you for, um, for growth. And so, and then you have investors, frankly, um, who you owe a debt to. So as you grow, you just have more stakeholders who you are responsible for. And, um, it's important to really stay focused on, taking care of all of your different stakeholders. And it's not about, you know, what Vicky likes anymore or, you know, what Vicky wants to do. It's, I have, yeah, I have people to take care of. It doesn't, it's, it's not something that 
keeps me up at night or that I'm scared of, though. I don't think that fear is a very productive driving feeling when you're having, when you have your own company. I mean, of course, everybody has moments of fear mm-hmm. and, and being an entrepreneur is, is a lot like being on a roller coaster, but fear causes adrenaline to rush through your body and that's fine in the short term, but over the long term, it, it wears your body and your mind down. So it's, for me, I, I, I do a lot of um, mindfulness practices because nobody is going to be well served by um, a CEO who's driven by fear. Who are some of your role models? Who do you look up to um, either business wise or just kind of emulating their, their life and their lifestyle? Oh, that's a great question. I have so many. Um, Oprah? <laughs> so many, so many. I don't know Oprah well enough, but I, I do think it's um, awesome that she has uh, brought a level of conversation to the kind of national dialogue around um, mindfulness, wellness, community. Um, on the business side, I really admire Howard Schultz. Um, I think that he built an amazing brand a beautiful business that he really takes care of his employees and um, that he did it in a way that was values driven. People don't who haven't worked at Starbucks don't realize what a values driven company it is, but it is truly, truly values driven company. Um, you know, they, they were doing the equivalent of fair trade coffee before fair trade got cool. They just call it cafe practices because it's a different type. Um, he was giving health benefits to part-time employees long before, um, you know, that made sense financially. They're just, um, they're a company that makes decisions based on the right thing to do, which doesn't mean that they're perfect. There's no human that's perfect. There's no company that's perfect. But I think that if our goal is to, um, be a values driven company that is globally relevant and, um, takes care of their different stakeholders, I think Starbucks has done a phenomenal job. Um, the geisha that we study with in Japan are, amazing role models they geisha means art person but in addition to the traditional arts that they're trained in they're one of their most kind of magical skill sets is making the person in front of them feel like the only person in the room and it's not from a false sense of um fawning over somebody but rather really seeing someone for who they are they're amazing listeners they're amazing connectors like they just connect with people um and they're so exquisite. Yeah. Wait, can you explain a little bit more about them and what they do? And Yeah. So Geisha means art person. They've been around for a few hundred years. Um, they're akin to female kabuki actors in terms of being um, stage performers. They are trained in dance and um, they play instruments. But then in addition to that, they will take on private clients and do private events. And when they do do those events, they make you feel awesome um but they do it in a way like where they make you feel really seen and heard it's it's a it's a beautiful thing it's not sexual in any way it's not you know um i mean i'm a feminist and and i love what they do yeah Uh, and then they're also so classically exquisitely beautiful like they they teach me all sorts of lessons about how to be more ladylike so they're amazing I, i consider them role models um, my daughter is a role model for me because, um, little people have a deep sense of justice. They've never told a lie yet. 
and um, they're, they can be deeply empathetic and they have a really good sense of priorities in the world, you know? It's so funny. It's funny how we go so far away from that as we get older. Little people are so wise. Um, and so sometimes when I get stuck, I ask my daughter for advice and she's got great advice. It's like that book, everything I need to know. I learned in kindergarten. It's true. That's so funny. I need to get a little person. (laughs) I need to make a little person. It sounds like people are awesome, especially if you listen to them more than talk at them, just listen to them. They have really wise things to say. So I want to ask Allie a question. Allie. (laughs) Alexandra. Hi. Hi. I just want to ask you about working at Tatcha and, um, you know, what, how many jobs have you had before this? Um, so before this, I had a couple. I worked for a PR agency. I worked for um, a film studio. I worked for my college. Um, and I worked in retail, which I think everyone's done at some point. Yep, everyone. <laughs> yeah. So how is working here different? Sure. Um, I think it's a little bit of a unique situation because I've been here for so long and kind of seen so many different stages of the company. Um, one of the things that's that's different about working here is that early on, we as a team defined values that we decided were going to be important to us. And so we kind of did this whole activity where everyone got together and we selected five values that we kind of reinforce on a daily, quarterly, annual basis, um, which I, I liked some of the jobs that I had beforehand and you could tell that there were things that were important, but no one really took the time to sit down and define like, here's how we make the decisions we make. Here's, here's what guides us and, you know, reminds you of that all the time. And so that feels, um, that feels like a much bigger thing than just kind of doing a job. Um, and it's also great to work with a team of really incredible people, especially most, mostly women who are teaching me, you know, I, I'm being on the younger side. I, I learn a lot every day from um, women from kind of all different, different jobs and different areas of, of work. Yeah, it's really cool. And I know when I was job hunting, it was so hard for me to find a job where I actually would fit in and it would be fulfilling too. And I think people our age have a really hard time finding those first few jobs and, and finally finding like their niche job. And I just, I don't know. I envy you too. I think it's a really cool place to work. I can, I can tell. Yeah. It's been, it's been a really fantastic experience and it's been, it's been great to see the company change and grow and kind of bring in new people and everyone that comes in, you know, brings their own story and their own perspective, but it it all really adds to the whole. What would you recommend someone um, in their early 20s who just graduated college and trying to find their first their first gig? What would you what would your advice to them be? Um, informational interviews. I did a ton of those, even at companies I wasn't interested in, even in jobs that I didn't see myself in. But coming out of college, I had I had no idea. I had no idea what industry was interesting to me. I had no idea what different, I didn't even know what different jobs were. Um, and so I talked to people who worked in headhunting, who worked in consulting. I talked to a neurosurgeon, which is so far, wow. I was much major, it was like nothing having to do with what I was going to do, but just talking to people about their jobs and their networks and their decisions and, um, just kind of trying to soak up as much information as I could. Um, 
And, and part of one of those informational interviews was actually with the woman who introduced me to Vicky and who, um, was, was suggesting that I intern for Atasha. So it, it leads somewhere. Thank you, Allie. <laughs> of course. Um, okay. So what is next? What, what's next for Tatcha? What's on the, what's on the burner here? <laughs> oh, what's next? Um, some awesome new things to add to the collection. Uh, so there's always, always new treasures to share. Um, we just launched in Australia, uh, which is cool. So we'll probably be doing some more international. Um, Alec and I just wrapped up a book. So um, Mother's Day of 2018, we'll have our first little book out. It's not so much the story of Tatcha, but just um, um, a little bit about Japanese skincare and the approach for your skin. What else do we have coming out? Two million days. Let's do it. We're trying to get to two million days of school. Um, so that that's a major focus area for us. Where can we find Tatcha and where can we Snapchat you? And... Oh, oh you're so <laughs> sweet. Um, you can find us on Tatcha.com or uh, Sephora or Barney's in the US, Mecca in Australia, Sephora in Canada. Uh, Joyce Beauty in Hong Kong, in case you have any listeners out there. Um, and Snapchat, you can always find me. It's just me. And it's Tasha Beauty, one word. Um, but yeah, we're all here to take care of you. And so, so, so honored to share our story and love what you're doing. Thank you guys so much for listening to another episode of Why We Work. As always, follow us on social media at Postgrad Media and at Why We Work Pod. If you want to reach out to me, say hi, recommend a guest, email me at dawn, D-A-W-N, at postgradradio.com. And of course, don't go far because we have a brand new episode coming out next week. But until then, here is a teaser. And she's like, look, I don't know. I don't know what uh, the deal is, but these are unacceptable. No one can fit into them. Um, We will not be placing an order. And she was like one of those tough like Boston ladies that I was so scared of. Um, And she said, you know, if you basically if you get your act together, you know, we'll we'll consider, you know, looking at your, your work again.